0: This is a podcast from Minute Media.
1: The Lakers Legacy Podcast episode you're about to listen to is brought to you by the Fansided Sports Network, the ultimate home for fans, and by lakeshowlife.com, Fansided's official Lakers website. Make sure to check out lakeshowlife.com for all the latest Lakers news, rumors, and opinion pieces. As usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod, and also please consider dropping us a five star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. It truly is the best way to support us. And now, on with the showtime. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Where, after a week of preseason basketball, with just a week left until the start of the regular season, we finally, finally got what we've all been waiting for the two way signing of Seku Dumboya. Yeah! Let's go! No, I'm just kidding. We finally got to see the big three play all at once. Heck, we got to see the big four play if you include Carmelo Anthony. But given that we only have one preseason game left, while LeBron James and Anthony Davis have some built-in chemistry to sort of work off of and that they were able to channel against the Golden State Warriors the other night, let's just say as it pertains to the full big three and their integration, talking about Russell Westbrook, so far, it's looking a little... Rusty Westbrook, if you know what I'm saying. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, icebreaker question of the night. This will totally throw you for a loop. But what game in Squid Game do you think Russell Westbrook would have <laughs> the hardest time dealing with? Spoiler alert right now. If you haven't watched all the episodes, stop right here. But yeah, Tommy, just give me your gut reaction. What's the game in Squid Game that Russell Westbrook, you're going to be like, oh, he,
0: he's dead? Um, (laughs) uh, the one that I think he would have the hardest time with is probably red light, green light, actually, because I think... (laughs) He's so explosive, but he sometimes has a problem with the brakes. Um, yes. So I think he, I think when the red light is called, I don't know if that he, he'd be able to come to a complete stop immediately. Boom, 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 boom.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, kind of along the same line of thinking, I think that he'd also die in don't, the uh, Jesus. <laughs> no, such a gruesome and morbid way to start. Could this just podcast say lose. Off. Yeah. Um, so I think he'd also lose in the Dalgona cookie game, cookie cutting game, because like you mentioned, <laughs> everything he does is so big and explosive. I don't think he'd be able to like so intricately focus on trying to cut up whatever shape he's trying to cut up because again, Russell Westbrook is such a big character in both personality and play. When, he's, when, when the time is ticking and he has to focus on, oh gosh, I have to be meticulous about this. I just don't know if he's got it in him. Um, so there you go. There's your squid game icebreaker. Hopefully he
0: doesn't get that umbrella.
1: Hopefully he does not get that umbrella. But speaking of rain, the Lakers are about to make it rain this season. Uh, let's <laughs> let's get this episode started. So some quick news off the top, obviously. The biggest one is THD undergoing thumb surgery. He'll be out for the next probably eight weeks or so. Um, although I think he'll be reevaluated in four, right? But regardless, let's say the, the longest timeline is around two months. Along with that, we heard about Trevor Ariza's injury. He for sure will be out, I think, two months, right? Um, Yes. Both along that same duration. Monk and Nunn are both banged up with various injuries. Wayne Ellington is now sidelined. How does this affect things? Well, for one, the Lakers signed Sekou Demboya with their second two-way spot, uh, leaving that other two-way spot, I guess, kind of fluid with regards to whether it's going to be Chandy Brown's spot and we can talk about this later. Chandi Brown's or Cam Oliver's, but Seku, at least for right now, will for sure be taking one of those two-way spots. Well currently the other
0: one is Ayayi, right? But you're saying Yeah, I'm I, saying
1: yeah. Ayayi out of there. Get out of Get out of there, Ayayi, the shooting guard version of Anthony Brown. Uh no shade on either of those two players. Anyways, um my quick take on Seku is he's six eight. Great size. I watched some highlights of him. He's very clunky. Don't expect anything out of this dude outside of physical clay. He does have legit wing size. I think if they truly need a vet wing like James Ennis, who is literally pleading to become a Laker, or even a combo tweener like Mike Scott for the 15th spot, I think if they truly need that guy, the Lakers will sign that guy. But for now, um, I think I think that they want to one, save money, which is understandable given the luxury tax implications where each dollar is almost like three or four times that amount. So one, I think they want to save money. And then two, wait and see if they actually do need to sign said player before doing so. So I think we'll have like a two-week run where we determine, okay, do we want to sign a non-guaranteed guy for that 15th spot? Kind of the same way that we did with Tyson Chandler during LeBron's first year where, where it was very apparent we need some extra big help. Um, I think from that end, it's not even about the Lakers being cheap. It just makes prudent sense because James Ennis, nobody's picking up James Ennis, nobody's picking up Mike Scott. So might as well just let them wait, right? I think the Lakers have the leverage here. Um, but whoever they sign eventually, I feel like will be non-guaranteed anyways because the Lakers have their sights set on the buyout market and keeping that spot open. So those that's my take on Sekou. And then quickly on the THT injury and Ariza injury. The THD injury sucks the most, for sure, because he was looking good in the preseason. That three-point shot was looking confident, even though he was a little bit wild with all the turnovers and stuff. You could just see, like, with his, the better, you know, what's it called? His better physical conditioning, how how cut he looked, how how he was moving spryly, and just the overall confidence, regardless of the wild forays into the paint and the turnovers and whatnot, I, I could just see bigger and better things for THT. And this obviously puts a break on that, puts breaks on that. And then when he returns, he's going to have, you know, that transition period where he's going to get his legs underneath him, et cetera, et cetera. So so in some ways, it's almost like a redshirt year for THT in terms of like that big third year leap that a lot of us were anticipating. So on that end, it sucks. On the positive end, it opens up opportunity for guys like Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk, who are always going to get minutes anyways. But in terms of usage and a firmly supplanted role on the team. They're going to have that. And then I think a guy like Rajon Rondo, who's been playing so well in the preseason, probably has a more permanent role on the roster. And then for those who are Austin Reeves stands, unbereavable, he probably gets a shot here and there as well. So those are the silver linings. Just your quick thoughts on those two things.
0: Um, THT, the bummer. I mean, it looks like you said it's obviously a big bummer, but I think for me, that the one concern I have, right? It's like, Eight, four weeks, eight weeks, whatever it ends up being, like he'll be back for a significant portion of the season. Obviously, like he's he will miss, unfortunately, a good part, a good chunk of the season, but he will be back for a significant portion, certainly when we need him. But I feel like he got himself in great shape. Okay, he. Clearly, in my opinion, it seemed like he had worked quite a bit on his handle. I mean, he talked about how he had worked on his handle and how to increase his quickness and explosiveness off the dribble during free agency, and you kind of saw that. Um, You mentioned the shot, which I think that was another thing that... I don't know that his form changed that much, but it certainly looked like he had more confidence. I've never, like, had surgery on my hand, right? But it's, like, his dominant hand. And so I guess my concern is... Not being able to do that stuff for several weeks—it's not going to be the full time because at some point he's going to start rehab. But not being able to do that for several weeks, and then coming into the middle of a—not se- the middle of a season, but like a season that like your teammates have gotten a good amount of cohesion. More, more importantly, other teams in the league have gotten a good amount of cohesion, and now being thrust out there in like bench minutes to sort of find your handle and find your shot and just figure that all out. Like, 20 games into the year, this dude isn't like a 10-year NBA vet. Like, he's super young still. Last year was, believe it, I mean, it didn't seem like it at times, but it was the second year. He's like 21 years old. Like, it, they're turning 21 years old in a month or whatever. And, And so it... I have some concerns about that. Now, granted, none of this really matters as long as our big three remain healthy. It should be fine. We should be able to withstand injuries on the fringes. We kind of dealt with this a little bit, um, you know, during the championship season with, you know, there'd be random times where Caruso got hurt or... um I think Danny Green missed some games at some point, certainly in the, in the playoffs, Danny Green was hurt like almost the entire time. And, and, you know, it really comes down to if your stars are healthy, you're going to be fine. And so hopefully that happens for us. Um, Other guys will step in. We should be okay for 15 games or whatever THC ends up missing, but 20 games maybe. But, um, I guess I'm more concerned about once he comes back, what happens, uh, but you know, I think, like you mentioned, Austin Reeves—great opportunity to, for him to step in and early in the season when the games are, I guess, you could argue a little more pressure, a little less pressure um, against teams that, frankly, we in many cases we should be beating—maybe um, not the highest level of competition, the most intense playoff atmosphere-type games good opportunity for him to get his feet wet. Uh, I don't know that this guy is going to be like an asset for us in the playoffs, but it you never know what's going to happen over the course of an 82-game season. And, and it would be nice to get him some reps in case, you know, things things uh, become, you know, we have other issues with other injuries later down the line.
1: Yeah, no, agree. And and, and I'll, I'll just wrap things up with the Ariza thing. I don't think we were relying on this guy too much anyways, as it pertains to 82 games. Uh, I think you and I both, you hold Bazemore in high regard and think he's probably going to soak up a lot of usage and a lot of minutes this season. So Kent Bazemore in that sense is sort of our wings innings eater, and we'll see how how well we fare. Um, and if we really need to make a move, by the time Ariza comes back, he's probably just insurance or whatever. But I, I think for me in general, Ariza was more of an 80, uh, not 82 game. He was more of a 16-game playoff sort of player that we we could go to in quick pinches against, you know, closing lineups or whatever. So hopefully by the time we, you know, hit that last stretch of the season, is healthy and integrated, et cetera, et cetera. And really we just need him for his length and his, his defensive scrappiness, which should help the run and gun um, game of the Lakers. Um, but I think in, in in general, we'll probably be addressing the wing needs if it turns out to be very needy on our end with the buyout market or via trade. So, Uh, Let's talk about the game last night, how the team looked against the Golden State Warriors and maybe the Phoenix Suns, since we got a better look at what this team would look like, given that's when portions of the big three or the full big three actually played. And I'll give my quick, you know, minute observations on this. Defense goes without states. Defense goes without saying. It's been bad. It's a work in progress. It looks like guys have never seen a cut before in their lives. Man to man wise, I mean, it's it's there. The guys have the want, but when it comes to just getting screened off or whatever, like that's when plays just totally end, and it's up to Anthony Davis or Dwight Howard to clean up the mess. So we know the defense is a work in progress. Um, The big three's turnovers and timing is simply not there. Very nonsensical and unnecessary passing, especially from Russell Westbrook, who's doing it in half-court situations and driving into the paint and passing it off to guys three feet next to him, and that is an instant turnover. Um, But with all that said, the runs that we have seen in the last two games have been fun, specifically the one versus Phoenix in the first half. And then the flurry that we had versus Golden State in the second half where Mello started bombing threes, LeBron started hitting fadeaway ju- turnaround jump shots, Bazemore hit a three, Westbrook hit a mid-range pull-up, and we were just a lot more frenetic and active on both ends. It's no surprise that defense was also fueling that because we were getting stops. And then on the other end, an avalanche of just three-point shots were being made, and it just looked fun. And you could kind of see the flashes and see the vision of this team. And that's with a bad defender in Carmelo Anthony, mind you. But overall, I think it's just going to take some time to get the clunkiness out of everything. And obviously, because we haven't, the last game was the first time we played the big three. Obviously, it's going to take more time for those guys to find some chemistry. But I think they're all willing to put the work in. Um, it's going to take more time for the guys to be engaged and locked in with their defensive rotations and for them not to put so much of the onus on Anthony Davis to clean up everyone who has straight line drives to the basket because we couldn't contain the perimeter or we didn't stick with a basic off-ball cut, et cetera, et cetera. So with all that said, my last two observations are AD looks really good. He looks sharp. He looks active on both ends and he looks ready. Uh, the ridiculous one-handed alley-oops he's caught this preseason and is specifically The one from Rondo last night, that's kind of the epitome of, okay, this is Anthony Davis's season. He's ready for redemption after what happened last year and kind of taking things too slow and getting injured. Um, The way he's been rotating on defense and contesting everything, um, the way he's been running the floor, I think all of those have been great and I'm very excited. And this is all with his three-point shot still coming into form, right? That hasn't even locked in yet. Um, And then LeBron James, even though we've only seen him play for like one or two games last year, I mean last year, last night, his gear up, even at his age, at at age 36, is so quick and phenomenal when he wants to. That's that's why I'm kind of like, okay, I give LeBron James the benefit of the doubt because he may be the one sort of pulling the strings with regards to how slowly and casually we ramp up the preseason, but you see when he wants to turn it on, okay, this is LeBron James, this is the king. That one shot he took, where he raced down into transition and did like the windmill scoop layup with his left against defenders, was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then he obviously had those multiple turnaround Dirk fades in, that he hit in the second half, as long as as well as his patented long bomb three to end the first half. I think LeBron's going to be ready to go, and he'll help smooth the Westbrook transition out a little bit. We'll get to Russell Westbrook at the turn, but for now, those are my general thoughts on the team and specifically the big two. So, what about you?
0: <laughs> this is like people look, look at me when I'm crazy. When I like, you know, I pretend like I'm crazy when I say this, and I actually don't think it's that crazy. There is a world this year, for sure, I think, where AD might win the MVP. I Like, w- the first mm-hmm. couple of games of the preseason that AD appeared in, I was like, okay, so all that talk about AD is working hard, and he looks different, and, you know, he's in the best shape of his life, and he's a man on a mission. Like, it kind of didn't feel like that was coming to fruition, and I I wasn't, like, trying to jump on him right away because it's early in the preseason You know, a lot of things could change and whatnot, but he went from like how he looked in the first two games or or so of the preseason, um, which I would kind of equate to how he looked last year, like everything sort of labored, didn't appear to be in great shape, constantly looked like he was on the verge of getting injured or actually getting injured, kind of went from that to... Like you like you described, I mean, he's looked like Bubble AD. I mean, he's looked like this just completely dominant force on both ends of the court. I think there's a decent chance the Lakers end up with the best record in the NBA, and because of AD's ability to play on both ends of the floor, and because of the fact that he is the youngest of our big three, and frankly, the, because of the fact that he is the one of the guy, go- the one of the big three who hasn't won a lot of like individual accolades. Um, I could see him being motivated to, if not win, you know, defensive players, certainly defensive player of the year is going to be on his mind. Um, but I think MVP, you know, him having an MVP type season is definitely not out of the question. Just I, this dude is everywhere on both sides of the ball. Um, we're going to play him a lot more at the five, you know, which I think in today's game is going to allow him to collect a lot more of the counting stats, you know, like blocks and, 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 and whatnot. Um, because he'll be in position to, to defend stuff at the rim, and I just—he looks super athletic. He looks mm-hmm. super more so than looking athletic. Looks super super strong. Um, yeah, he doesn't look like he's getting knocked around. It doesn't look like he's kind of on every time he catches the ball and it gets some contact. He's about to fall down. I mean, he still falls like way more than I'd like <laughs> like to see. But yeah. um, you know, I'm I'm definitely definitely pretty hyped about that.
1: Um yeah, no, so am I, and I think that'll bridge a lot of the gaps that we've been seeing in terms of cohesion and chemistry and whatnot. So with that said, we'll take it to break and then we'll talk about the Russell Westbrook experience or the Rusty Westbrook experience for now. Um and yeah, we'll catch you guys after the turn. Autumn's in the air, the pumpkins are in the patch, and our friends at Manscaped are here to make sure that you don't carve your pants pumpkins when you're grooming, if you know what I'm saying. So make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall with the leaders in male grooming and their brand new 4th generation performance package. Boys, get ready for a cuffing season like no other. Ready to take the leap into fall with Manscaped? Join the 2 million men worldwide using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Now I'm sure I don't need to recount to you guys about that one time I tried to pull this one white stray hair I had down there, but in the midst of doing so, I ended up pulling out my back trying to take that white hair out. And let's just say it hurt a pumpkin spice latte. So how did I fix all of that white hair mess? Well, I did it with Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawn Mower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer. Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Make your balls a priority this fall. Choose Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. All right, so Russell Westbrook, uh, this preseason, it's been... Uh, I think a mixed bag is putting it lightly. He's averaging... I mean, he's leading the, the team in assists, uh, so that's good. Uh, Russ Westbrook is... This isn't including the, the last game that we're going to play against the Kings, I believe. Uh, but he's averaging 6.7 points, 6.3 rebounds, 5 assists, uh, but a whopping 6.7 turnovers. That's not fun. The good thing is he's shooting the three ball pretty well. He's like fifth on the team, 37.5%. Um, I like the pace he's been playing with and i think the biggest thing that you that's very apparent with Russell Westbrook anytime he's on the floor is just how physically imposing he is in comparison to other guards his size right or even just other wings out there on the court too and just you just feel his presence um now i'll say as it pertains to like the unnecessary turnovers and how clunky it's look with him in half court offense and you just kind of wondering what does this guy do in the half court besides barreling it in and trying to impose his will on guys, which, you know, he's done a couple of times on smaller guards, but for the most part, it's also led to wild turnovers or, you know, maybe an offensive foul or two, and just him hoisting a wild shot because he's more focused on getting guys, getting body contact with his defender and barreling it in. Um, Almost, you know, like rookie Randall-esque is how I've described it. And I think in terms of, like, the overall experience so far, and I'm not trying to kind of um, foreshadow anything super ominous and negative, but let me know what you think about this. But the Russell Westbrook experience so far kind of feels like Dwight's first year with LA, but at the point guard position. Um, and what I mean by that is you're still going to get the highlight dunks. You, you're still going to see and feel the level of athleticism and physicality that he brings to the table. Like Dwight Howard during that year with Kobe, you'll st- still see the highlight plays. But on a game-by-game, possession-by-possession basis, it's going to be clunky AF, at least at the start. And so it sort of feels like a slog watching Westbrook play right now in the same way that it felt like a slog watching Dwight back then try and bang down low and bulldoze his way into people when he still thought he was a premier center and thought he could, you know, ISO guys and play in the post. So in a similar way in terms of just the vibe, that's how I feel watching Westbrook in the half court at least right now. And also in transition, just because his passes have been sloppy, but I think a lot of that is just naturally going to be smoothed out with playing more, playing with LeBron and AD more, and I think also just you know picking up some tips and tricks from Rondo as well with regards to how to engage Anthony Davis and just literally throw it up into the air and make him fight for the ball. Uh, so a lot of that is just going to naturally work itself out, and at, at the very least, I like his attitude in terms of trying to fit, fit in first um, but also, again, his three-point shot looks good so far. What about you on the Russell, Russell Westbrook experience right now, the Rusty Westbrook experience? Rusty
0: Westbrook. Um, I am actually not really concerned. So I, my big counter to the Dwight point, right, is, and I know that you didn't mean this like super literally um, because Russell Westbrook is not a center. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, no, I mean, I, I know you didn't mean it this directly, but um, I think Russ it's different because what was ha- the problems that Dwight was having were bigger than just his fit with Kobe and Powell and the rest of the guys we had on that team. Yeah. And the coach, I, it was also like an attitude and personality and culture fit issue that we were having at that time. Dwight sure. wanted to be the guy. I don't think Russ wants to be the guy. I don't think he has to be the guy. Every historic, like, big three that we've seen. And I guess like I say historic, but I mean, the big three era has really been in the last 15 years or so, right. The teams are trying to get these big threes, but together um, the third guy is always very, you know, it, it always ends up, you end up with one all-star or borderline all-star in the case of us, like certain all-star former MVP who is going to end up taking a little bit of a back seat. I think Russ is at a stage in his career where he's happy to do that. Um, I think the fit with LeBron and AD is probably going to be it's it's probably not going to look good and I don't for a portion of the season and I don't necessarily think it's because of anything any of them are doing. I mean, listening to I very very rarely t- listen to sports podcasts. I don't even listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was listening to Lakers Daily podcast. I mean, the we need Alexa. to listen. Uh, listening to the Laker Film Room podcast the other day uh, with Pete and Tradell, and they were going over, like, you know, Pete was saying a lot of things I agreed with, frankly, about how the Lakers approached preseason in general. But one thing he flagged is that, and it's actually really hard to find these numbers, but russ historically is like laughably bad in the preseason i mean his you know look at his numbers throughout the course of his career and certainly since his second third year in the Nba this dude is just a complete beast right he's i mean he's like destroying NBA seasons year mm-hmm. after year after year after i mean he's like consistent with it right and yeah he has his flaws but he puts up his numbers and he helps his teams win games I mean the washington wizards were a complete laughing stock and they have A host of—I know they have talent, but they had a host of COVID injuries and a lot of other issues going on in a a very weird year. And Russell Westbrook like willed that team to a playoff berth in the East, right? And the East is not as much of—yeah, sure—the bottom seeds are not over five hundred or whatever, but it's not as much of a Joe Conference as it once was. Um, You know, Russ will eventually get there, but preseason he's always been bad. Frankly, regular season he's always gotten off to very slow starts. Yeah. So I think there is going to be a lot of overreaction theater coming in the Lakers, like first couple of months of the season. I think like one thing that could temper this is the fact that, uh, we have a pretty light schedule to start, but I also think that eventually we will figure out a system that Russ works with. Um, and, and figure out a way to keep him productive and helpful and I think it's going to work out just fine um I just think we're so it, it it's I acknowledge like a lot of this argument is based on we just need to wait and see which is an easy argument to make because i I have no you know counter to your point that it has been a horrifically clunky fit so far um yeah I just think that ultimately the way we want to play, if Russ commits to playing defense, I think it's going to be fine.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, I, my concerns are more just tempering my expectations based off of how lit I was when we got this guy, right? And drinking the Kool-Aid before you see any tape. And you're faced with the realities of what it's going to look like. Having to go through like an 82-game season, right? And seeing all the warts on a not only a game-by-game basis, but a possession-by-possession basis, and you remembering during our first podcast reaction to Russell Westbrook, like, oh, yeah, this is why we were sort of scratching our heads, right? Because I think a lot of that got lost as we got continued to get lit and saw how excited Russell Westbrook was that I was just like, all right, to the moon we go, baby. And then you watch him play, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is why I was kind of like, hmm, interesting fit, you know? And I think you've addressed all of those things and, and kind of, uh, admitted that it is going to look clunky i think it's all about just maintaining perspective right um so yeah i'm with you i'm i don't think it's anything long term that's going to stick and be damning but it is something to keep in mind with regards to watching russell westbrook progress and just understanding the regular type of flow that he takes with his seasons and how long it takes him to sort of ramp up but the one thing you won't que- won't ever question with with westbrook is just his fight and competitive nature, right? And at the very least, like, him, yeah, I think just his will and competitive spirit kind of pushing guys along with him. And I think that'll have a positive effect on Anthony Davis. Not that he necessarily needs it because it seems like the dude's locked in more than usual. All right, with that said, to close this episode, just some stray thoughts about other random guys who who have impressed you the most. I guess we can land here. And we'll try and keep this quick. Um... But let's talk about Austin Reeves, because I think, as I mentioned with THT's injury, he could be a potential beneficiary of some extra spare minutes, whether that's THT's injury or even, you know, Wayne Ellington being old, um, the other guys having knick-knack injuries. But in just in general, just like legitimately, like obviously we don't know how this is going to translate into regular season games. This is just preseason um, experience and... Um, Being a veteran and and having know-how in the league is paramount and uh, a huge intangible that Austin Reeves doesn't have. But with regards to what we've seen on the court, I mentioned it and joked on Twitter, but if Alex Caruso and Zvima Kyluk had a baby with some of Kirk Heinrich's grandparentage somewhere in there, you get Austin Reeves. So Austin Reeves, I mean, to me, he seems like a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none sort of guy. He can kind of do it all, not to like an insane level, but he can definitely do everything that you'd expect like an all-star level player to do at at the most foundational basic point of those things. Um, and what I mean by that is, I mean, he mentioned that he's modeled his game after Joe Ingles, which is also like a low-hanging fruit comparison I've made in the past, but you definitely see it in the way that he he's so herky-jerky when he has the ball in his hands and when he has to... Try and get up a shot last minute he's able to contort his body in these weird angles and still cleanly get off a shot. I think he even had a, a, a similar one such attempt I think it was either in the golden State game or the Phoenix game where he almost had an and one if they had called continuation where he his body was like the bottom half of his body was halfway turned 180 a different direction than his top half, but he still was able to bank the shot in and some of that stuff, I think when he progresses in the league if he turns out to be a solid rotation player that's when you'll see some of the upside because he is very herky-jerky he does have some shiftiness to him some Manu Ginobili type stuff but I mean on the basic level he's just a very capable ball handler uh and I can do stuff with the ball more than I think even Caruso could and maybe can still to this day um But with regards to, if you remember on our draft day podcast, when you announced to us that we're signing Austin Reeves to a, you know, two way contract or a camp invite, I asked you, oh, is this guy a three-point shooter? And you're like, no, he is not. Um, That's because in Oklahoma City, he only shot 30% and 25% from three respectively. Oklahoma, bruh, it's college. Oh, sorry, Oklahoma, that's right. In (laughs) Oklahoma, he only shot 30% and 25% respectively from three. And that's largely because when he got to Oklahoma, they asked him to be HBK. They asked him to be Hillbilly Kobe and become like almost a big point guard. And it's actually crazy. His last, his senior year stats, he averaged like 18 points, five assists, five rebounds. His percentages were just shot. Um, More specifically from three because I think he was taking a lot more off the dribble and shot selection was probably poor with the ball in his hands most of the time. But if you take it back before his time with Oklahoma at Wichita... He was a straight off-ball catch-and-shoot three-point specialist, where he hit 42% from three on 1.6 makes his last year there, and then 50% from three on 0.8 makes uh, the year before that. So I think we're starting to see that part of his game emerge on the NBA level because he's surrounded by primary ball handlers, Hall of Famer. Hall of Fame primary ball handlers, and he's already mentioned how he bugs Rajon Rondo every five minutes, which is a super encouraging thing to hear. But we're starting to see that Wichita part of his game emerge, where he's just a hustle sort of guy. He competes on defense. We saw him maintain his ground against Bielitsa many a time the other night. And overall, he just has a very stable sound game that I think is very translatable. And the floor is there because... He's also just a straight energy hustle scrappy type of guy who on top of it I think is just has the smarts positionally to be in the right spots anytime he's on the court. Um, and so in this preseason we've seen the three point prowess that he showed at Wichita, nine of 21 from three, 43 percent. you know even even forgetting the makes and the percentage, the fact that he's taken 21 threes in five games is pretty crazy because you'd think that a rookie of his level given that he was undrafted, although he probably would have gotten drafted if he didn't force his way to the Lakers, yada, yada. All that aside, just the fact that he's taken 21 three-point shot attempts and he's getting passes from LeBron James and quickly shooting it with, without hesitation on perfect Kirk Heinrich-like form, I think that's pretty encouraging and, and um, just exciting if you can translate his game up a little bit. even Even while understanding that we probably shouldn't have two many high expectations with him because there is going to be a learning curve that he's going to hit. But given his foundational base point of what he is on paper, super encouraging stuff from Austin Reeves um, because he's also got the size at 6'5". So your quick thoughts on Austin.
0: Yeah, I've been like incredibly, incredibly impressed. So I didn't actually even know this dude was a good defender. (laughs) I'd be honest, like I thought like, okay, the Lakers want to develop like a big combo guard, like... Makes sense. We lost, obviously, a ton of depth. Um, it's a two-way contract. But, you know, we've been burned a little bit in recent years, as we've discussed at length on this podcast, with guys who, you know, okay, this is our guy who plays defense. This is our guy who shoots threes. This is our guy who does playmaking. So, you know, okay, maybe let's go for a guy who is a bigger guard, who who uh, can can fill a bunch of different roles, can do some things off the dribble. His playmaking was never a doubt, uh, based on how he performed, especially in the senior year at Oklahoma. He had some encouraging numbers with respect to like finishing at the rim um, and finishing through contact. I think there were some stats I, I don't remember them exactly, but I you know there were some stats about how how well he did converting uh, three point uh, you know and one opportunities um, in college. So all of that, I was kind of. Expecting right, and he showed a little bit of that, like finishing through contact and whatnot. Those skills tend to translate the NBA level. He showed a little bit of that at summer league, but he also showed a little bit of defense. And I just thought, okay, this is summer league; the level of talent is just not as high, and so he looks okay here. But we'll see what happens. Um, he is like very good defensively; like he he doesn't jump out the page, uh, you know, jump off the page as somebody who would be super athletic. Uh, I don't think he is a super, super athletic and, and the way that a lot of maybe folks think, but he's very quick laterally. Um, And more important than anything else, his basketball IQ is so high that on both ends of the floor, but especially on the defensive end of the floor, he just buys himself so much because he knows where guys are going to be. He knows play, you know, he can anticipate moves that the offensive players are going to, you know, uh, try to put on him. He he can anticipate where the next pass is going. Um, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I, I just I can't say enough good things about him. It's interesting because I want to say, well, he's a rookie. He's definitely not going to contribute this year. But he's twenty three years old. You know, he transferred from Wichita State to Oklahoma, as you mentioned. So he got that year of uh, he had to sit out due to eligibility, and so he's now twenty three. Um, he is a more mature player. He's physically developed enough to be an NBA player. And I look, I don't think he's going to play a ton. I'm not suggesting he's going to be like a rotation piece for us in the playoffs. Or, you know, when we start to tighten up the rotation, but he very quickly went from like, a, ah, let's see what happens. The two way player to like with injuries. I, I, I have no problem throwing this guy out there because at at worst, you just feel like he's not going to be a detriment to the team. Yep. Right? Like he's, at worst not maybe he doesn't hit shots at the clip he hit in the preseason you know or whatever but he's going to put in the effort on defense you know maybe he's going to make rookie mistakes on defense but he's going to put in the effort on defense and he's not going to turn it over a ton because he doesn't try to do things that are outside of his game um when you're looking to buy 10 15 minutes here and there when guys are injured that that's like an invaluable thing to have the option to have uh for a young player on your roster, and I just don't know how these scouts keep doing it. But they—it feels like they found another diamond in the rough here, and and I think I real—I mean, I'm excited to see where Austin Reeves' career goes, and hopefully, it's with us.
1: Yes, I'm so glad we have him locked up for the next year too. Even though it's partially guaranteed. I think it's partially guaranteed this year, but guaranteed next year, and uh, he'll get paid after that. Hopefully, by us. Um, really quickly to end this show, along the same lines of great scouting. Chandy Brown uh, from Michigan. I, I mean, it's it's hard because I feel like Sekou has one of the two-way spots. And just positionally, I feel like Cam Oliver probably... Positionally, it makes sense to keep Cam Oliver as that second spot because he's the only, like, Markeith Morris-type power forward stretch guy. But Chandy Brown, he has been sort of undeniable in the preseason. He's 5 of 11 from 3 overall so far with one game left. 11 points, 8 points, 9 points, 10 points in very limited minutes. He is jacked as all hell. I mean, he's like, what, 215 pounds £215 yeah. at a 6'5"? And so this is this is crazy. I was looking at um, his college stats and how he profiled in college, and I got a lot of this info from canishupis.com. I think it's a Timberwolves uh, website, and they did a breakdown of uh, Chandy Brown's game. And while Brown may not be much of an on-ball threat, he was actually one of the best off-ball shooters in the country. Overall, he scored 1.103 points per possession in the 94th percentile when it comes to off-ball shooting. He was in the 94th percentile um, spotting up, um, 96th percentile on jumpers, and 94th percentile off the catch. And last year, his last year at Michigan, he shot 42% from three. So he's actually a pretty damn good shooter, which you wouldn't think because of just how he looks. He kind of looks like David Nwaba a little <laughs> bit. Looks like he's
0: going to explode the ball every time he grabs
1: it. <laughs> right. But, I mean, he's shown it in the preseason, obviously, off of off a very small sample size. But the other thing that excites me, too, is just because of his NBA-ready body and some of the athleticism he's flashed. Granted, it's not super explosive, but... um his defensive uh, potential is there. His scrappiness is there, you know, and I think in Michigan, that's who he was. He, uh, he actually had an insane success rate with regards to shots around the rim shooting nearly 80% during last season with Michigan and that in Michigan under Juwan Howard, he was relied upon to be that consistent um, energy spark off the bench when it came to defense and so for me, that if he's profiling out as a 3-and-D sort of guy, that excites me even though we're, we're loaded at the shooting guard position, 6-5 and under, obviously. But in terms of the future, he's not a bad guy to keep around. Um, as an isolation defender, Brown ranked in the 93rd percentile in points per possession allowed. He's not the best team defender, but when it comes to perimeter point-of-attack defense, he tended to be kind of a hound in that respect. And so if he can maintain his three-point shooting, I'm very excited. And I said it to you, but a comp that I have for him in terms of like a template, not necessarily his play style, would be like a better three-point shooting version of Bruce Brown, who currently plays for the Brooklyn Nets and has found a way to be a very productive role player amongst the stars, which presumably if Shawnee Brown has a career as an NBA role player, that's what he would be on this Lakers team. Just do all the little things, sort of like Austin Reeves, but kind of also use your physicality and your bully ball physique to your advantage. Um, Bruce Brown, by comparison, is 205 pounds. So like 10 pounds below Chandi Brown, but sort of the same sort of build of like a 6'4", 6'5", guard who uses his strength to to be a good defender and do all the little gluey things on the edges that help like a star-studded team out um, and fill the gap. So your quick thoughts on Chandi Brown.
0: Also been very impressed with Chandi Brown in a different way. So I think Shondi Brown is interesting because he was a senior at Michigan. Obviously, was a very good Michigan team this past year. They were many people before their point guard got injured. They were many people's favorite to win the national. Uh, one of many, uh, you know, many people's favorites to win the national championship. And I think because that team was so stacked, they obviously had Mo Wagner's brother, whose name I blank, Franz Wagner. Um, they had some other like highly regarded players on that team. I think Shandy as a senior kind of got overlooked a little bit. He had one or two very, very good games in the tournament. And, you know, that's where a lot of you often see guys who perform well in that tournament get picked up when it comes to, you know, waiver season or not waiver season undrafted free agent season. Uh, You know, Shandy measures. I, I think one thing that plays against him a little bit is his measurements, which... He, I think he plays bigger than he is, right? So he listed, you know, when he was attended the G League camp. I'm looking at the numbers from his official NBA measurements here. Uh, so about six five barefoot, about six six in shoes, eight foot five standing reach, 217 pounds, six uh, eight and a quarter wingspan. So. The only comment I have on this is I don't know that he will get there in terms of guard skills. Like, he can do things off the dribble going towards the rim, and he's, you know, obviously got a huge frame and body, and he can use his body to absorb contact and finish around the... I'm not really worried about any of that stuff. I don't... I guess I just view him as very clearly a 3 and D type player. Um, Mm. And so... I don't necessarily think you need a crazy wingspan to be an elite three defender. I think you can make up for maybe a little bit lack of wingspan, which six, eight, by the way, is not horrific for a guy who's, you know, six foot five without shoes. But I think, you know, you can make up for the, maybe that lack of wingspan. He doesn't have the seven, six, 10 to seven foot wingspan, but he has like so much strength. And for a rookie to come in with that much strength, that is the type of guy who could make an immediate impact on a team. You know, like Austin Reeves, Shandy's just about, I think he turns 23 at the end of this year. Um, very impressed by his three-point shooting. Again, it's like his numbers don't jump off the page because his first three years, he was kind of mediocre. And then his last year at Michigan, he shot 42% on 1.4 marks makes per game. So it's like, you wonder like, okay, is that just an anomaly playing on a very good team or what happened? This guy has like a, I mean, it's like, it's kind of alarming to watch because he's so jacked. And then when he, t- when he <laughs> takes it, I, I like, I don't remember seeing a rookie who was this buff, like able to shoot threes like this smoothly, you know what I mean? He, he has so much arc on his shot. It's such a soft looking shot. And it's crazy because usually these guys come in and they have like lasers, right? Like. There's something about this dude's build kind of reminds me of Meta World piece. Yeah, and when when I saw him shoot for the first time, I was like, that is not what I expected because you know Meta and like a lot of guys who have that kind of build, they kind of shoot like line drives almost. And they
1: shoot know? Meta shot up top with almost just his wrist. Yeah, um, yeah. But but Shandy uses like his entire kind of like Brandon Bass and so like his entire <laughs> yeah. shoulder like rotates. So it's, yeah, it's so kind of wild.
0: But yeah, no, I've I've been super impressed with him. I know he's not the he doesn't currently have the second two-way contract. I think the fact that the coaching staff has chosen to play him over Joel Ayayi, who does have the second, the second two-way contract currently, um, is tells, tells us a lot about how they view him. Um, it would not be surprising to me at all if he took over that contract from Ayayi, especially because on this type of team, yeah, we need youth, but we also need youth that can play right away. And it's this is insane. I was texting you about this yesterday or the day before, but I mean Shondi and Joel Eyai are the exact same height and you would never tell be able yeah. to tell if you just saw them standing next to each other because Shondi weighs like damn near 40 pounds more than Joel Eyai and it is very apparent when you see them on the court. It's like Joel Eyai looks like like a high schooler, you know what I mean? <laughs> and and Shondi looks like an NBA player, like a veteran who's been in the league and has had access to like the weight room and all that stuff. And so that's the type of player that I think has a little bit of an advantage on this type of team. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely excited by him and, and I, I hope we end up giving him a look with the two way spot.
1: Yeah, and especially a role on this team if you stand out defensively because we're sorely lacking in that area. And again, that's kind of why I hope that he uses Bruce Brown's role as sort of a template that he aspires to because Bruce Brown, literally all he's doing as a 6'4 guard is finding the open cuts, you know, making making being a finisher essentially. And Shondi Brown already has a leg up on him because he can shoot three-pointers, which Bruce Brown can't do. But Bruce Brown somehow 22 minutes for the Brooklyn Nets shot 55% from the field almost like a big man big man in a small's body i don't think Chandy Brown is necessarily that but in terms of his soundness he doesn't do too much on the court when he's out there he just literally does if i'm open i'll take the shot i'll cut here i'll you know clean up with an offensive rebound and put it back just like all the small little stuff like that while also leveraging his you know sturdily built body and physique and his physicality Hitting, knocking down open shots, I mean, if he can do that while continuing to be a pest and hone in on the defensive end, yeah, I think he eventually could have a role in the league as a very steady role player. So we'll kind of like David Nwaba-esque, right? But with some upside when it comes to shooting potential. So we'll see. Hopefully we see that upside come to fruition with us, whether it's even just in the G League, if he gets the two-way spot or not. Uh, with that said, that's enough talk about guys that might not even be in the rotation. It's, that's how you know we're getting super hipster. But they've shown us something on the court, and we just had to respond. Um, obviously, as the season goes, we'll talk more about the high-profile guys, Camelo Anthony, Malik Monk, who's leading the team in, I think, three-point shooting and percentage and all that. I think—oh, no, sorry. Rajon Rondo's leading the team in three-point percentage at 66%. Let's go. Malik Monk is second in terms of— well, he's first in terms of volume, like two point seven shooting forty seven percent crazy stuff uh chandi brown second forty five percent but with that said, that'll do it uh we're excited for the regular season next week. We have one epis- one additional episode coming up, our annual season predictions podcast episode, but other than that, we're excited about this team even in spite of the fact that they haven't won a preseason game, uh, we understand that it's going to take some time, but so far we've seen enough flashes or have we seen enough flashes? All I know is we've seen flashes of of what the big three can do and what this team can do when uh, they're somewhat clicking on some cylinders. And we hope to see more of those cylinders click even in the last preseason game heading into next week, because yeah, we only have one preseason game left and, uh, Yeah, we will catch you guys when the regular season starts. So with that said, thank you guys for listening. Tommy, I will catch you later. Later. Let the Squid Games begin. All right, see ya.